Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators Podcast by Belay Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic worlds of Filipino-American culture. In our last episode, Rudy Corpus Jr. of United Players spoke about how he sees the youth as our present and future, and the importance of teaching this next generation about their cultural heritage and roots. I 1000% agree with Rudy, and this is why Belay Creative launched the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program last year. Over the past summer, we provided 10 high school youth with the opportunity to participate in an eight-week storytelling and podcast program. They acquired skills in interviewing, researching, editing, recording, and producing their very own podcasts. Our program's goal is to spotlight the diversity and strength of the next generation while also offering role models for young listeners. Our talented young hosts with their distinctive perspectives will inject fresh insights into the upcoming three Cultural Cultivators Conversations. So stay tuned as the next three episodes are guest hosted by three outstanding graduates of our very own Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program. Follow us on all social media at Balai Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. The first graduate of the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program is the exceptional Lucy Herrera Set. Lucy, a senior at Carlmont High School in Belmont, has developed a deep understanding of her Filipino heritage through her interview with her uncle, a teacher turned successful culinary entrepreneur, Michael Herrera. In this episode, Lucy shares profound insights, emphasizing the significance of family and culture in one's life and how these values can be carried forward with purpose. You can find more information about the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program at belicreative.org. Creative with a K. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm a rising senior at Calmont High School, and today I'm going to be interviewing my uncle, Michael Herrera, who is a first grade teacher in the Oakland area and has switched career paths to the food industry. The Filipino community has been a large part of his life, guiding him through childhood, through his teaching career, and eventually through his switch to cooking. We're going to be talking about navigating your identity, the struggles and achievements that come with it, along with going through change in life, and finally, how culture affects it all. This podcast is brought to you by the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program, presented by Cultivate Labs and Belay Creative. Thanks for joining me on this bright morning. Of course, it's an honor. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you questions about you and your life and your identity and your career. <laughs> right when you wake up. So. <laughs> Tell me about everything. Yeah, you. Tell me your secrets. <laughs> Where did you grow up and what was that town like? Like, were you exposed to other Filipinos? Did you have Filipino friends? Oh, but, I love this question. Uh, I grew up in Sacramento, California, born and raised in the 916, specifically Folsom, California. Folsom in the 90s was a very, it was a small town. It was known for the, their prison, <laughs> the Folsom State Prison. <laughs> Uh, in fact, when I went to elementary school, the prison was like a couple miles away. And uh, the first thing I really learned about that town was like, oh, 
you you live in Folsom. You're by the prison. I'm like, yeah, I guess. I'm eight. I don't know. <laughs> and I learned about um, this singer named Johnny Cash, and he the he got famous for singing in that prison, right? And there's like a there's a song, and so really, I've just been surrounded by this culture of like, oh, small town. There's a prison there. And then I learned about the Pony Express. So there was a lot of history there. But um, it didn't really reflect me. I'm Filipino, right? And uh, I have like, always been interested in history, always been interested in understanding my identity. And so learning about that, I was just like, oh, whoa, cool. I can like say that I'm from this town. I did this. All right, I I know this. And it was it was something like a really an anchor really for uh discovering my identity, right? As a young kid, there weren't a lot of Filipinos in my town. I didn't even know what like really what Filipino was till I went to the Philippines, right? And the Philippines was a whole, it's like, it felt like a whole different planet, right? From the, from Folsom, you know, especially the 90s. Oh, 90s were a wild time, was he? Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of just trying to figure out who I was as a Filipino, as a boy in America, that's Filipino. And so, yeah, my best friend, I lived in a cul-de-sac. My best friend back then was Joseph Rico, and he's Mexican. And we used to be really proud of being like the only brown boys in the court. So <laughs> at a very young age, I was like, I felt like I had to defend myself of like, I'm Asian, I'm brown, like I'm proud of that. Yeah. Because um, there were a lot of white kids. Yeah. And there were a lot of Asian stereotype jokes growing yeah. up. Um. So really, that that feel of like man like i'm not good enough or i don't understand and even like when i went to the philippines i wasn't filipino enough i'm yeah. still oh you're you're from america mm-hmm. you're, you're that guy like okay like yeah. i don't like i don't i don't speak the Tagalog. <laughs> i barely understand it mm-hmm. um and so it's like it's like being this alien on two planets and you're just like which one do i belong to yeah. right so yeah, there was a lot of like under trying to understand yeah. who I was at like a young age. So, so you were thinking about this from a young age. How and when did you start becoming more involved in like the Filipino community and actually participating? Oh yeah, uh, college for sure. I mean, I was trying. I mean, actually, no, probably high school. Like I, you know, like I was part of the Pacific Asian Club, mm-hmm. and you know, it was like, oh, we're proud to be Filipino. Yeah. That was like the first time I actually. Got to hang out with like more than one Filipino that yeah. was not my cousin or yeah. like my yeah. auntie or uncle. Um, and I was so excited. Like I was so excited. I like was like, oh, I'm gonna do everything Filipino. And this is the time where this is around like you know early 2000s, uh, like 2000. I went to high school 2005 to 2009, mm-hmm. and you know this is time America's Best Dance Crew. And so <laughs> just seeing like. Asians and yeah. Filipinos on stage and like yeah that's cool yeah. you we can do things like that like mm-hmm. you've been doing things like that I was like oh shoot like we, we wouldn't think of like oh man that's gonna like it's gonna like change the trajectory of like what 
like how Asian culture is in Asian American culture is in Amer- in America in like mm-hmm. the next like 10, 15 years. Yeah. So I like did a lot of that. Um, had a lot of talented friends. Um, in fact, like one of them. Yeah. A lot of them actually like, are now like really famous. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So cool. But it's just seeing them like just being doing these talent shows and yeah. like these uh, open mic nights. And it's like, that's how I really got involved in like the Filipino community in around like uh, high school. And then when I went to college, hella blew up. <laughs> like, um, you know, my, can I, can I say that I'm related to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, so when like auntie Carmela, um, she was, she like right before I started college, she's like, you need to talk to two people when you go to San Francisco state, you need to talk to Dr. Allison Tindiago Cubales and Dr. Don Mabalan. And I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to go to college. <laughs> But those two women really changed my lives and um, my life. And they, I, I started doing this thing called PACE, which was Filipino American Collegiate Endeavor. And I was really involved in activism and, like, and just political activism um, in the Filipino community and just really getting into like organizing and then I took their ethnic studies classes. Well, I took Allison's ethnic studies class, and Don was is was her best friend. So like you know, I'm always just being interacting with them. And I, then I joined PEP, Panoi Panay Educational Partnerships, which is uh, the reason why I'm a teacher. <laughs> uh, if what PEP is is like an ethnic ethnic studies student teacher program that focuses on Filipino American history and uh, activism in the San Francisco Unified School District. And I did that for five years. Um, free. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I realized, like, I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. And I can do this. I think I should become a teacher. And um, that's how I really got involved in, like, the Filipino community. Okay. You kind of combined two of them. I'm going to ask a little bit about your teaching in a second. Sweet. I love it. <laughs> We're going to go back to your childhood um can you describe your family and how did they affect the way you grew up like your relationship with your mom and your dad all your siblings <laughs> oh this, yeah. um i mean you know we grew up pretty middle class um you know um my mom and dad are really hard workers and I think I get a lot of that from them. Um, they really work hard because they love their family. Um, and I think that's part of their generation is like, we got to provide for our family. So I'm going to work to the bone. Um, but they were gone a lot. So like, cause they were working, they were gone a lot. Um, that was, you know, going back and forth. Me when I was growing up, going back and forth to San Jose cause he had a Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And then mom was a nurse at night, so she would, in the morning, in the day, taking care of the kids, and then go to work at night. So I had to, like, really learn how to take care of myself, and then um, also take care of Uncle Gabby, too, because I had to learn how to take care of a person with special needs, 
And um, I think a lot of that was like that acts of service, mm-hmm. like because I have a, I had I don't want to say forced into it, but yeah. like I'm mean, like yeah. you know it's my brother. I have like yeah. gotta take care of each other. Yeah, um, I had to learn and learn how to be patient and learn how to um, really work with other folk, other people that. I'm just like I don't want to do this. I'm like eight years old. I want I just want to like play video games, yeah. like play around. Um, yeah. So I mean, like, you know, I'm like, you know, close to them, but like, I just noticed that like that's what I am. I've like as growing up is just always working mm-hmm. and um, going forward, and sometimes overworking <laughs> and um. I get that from I think you know from from parents and then uh, yeah and then growing up with like you know all the older sisters like uh, very lucky um, I think I was like uh, because of that I'm just very sensitive mm-hmm. and like in tune with my emotions yeah um, and yeah I think I would have been <laughs> honestly if it was three older brothers I think I would have been a lot crazier because <laughs> um, I was already like kind of a rambunctious boy <laughs> as described you know going against the grain um, yeah and also very creative and artistic I think I got like just seeing the difference between you know my sisters and me I feel like at least the boys are more of the on the, in touch with their creative artistic side. Mm-hmm. You know, like look at me, look at Nathan, yeah. like, yeah. and then look at your mom. <laughs> like your mom's like creative in her own way and artistic, but like she did not she did not choose a career that's like yeah. like oh like this is yeah based on being that's. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting yeah. thing. So, um, yeah. So that's like you know, really good relationship and with them. And uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's, yeah. uh, that's the gist of it. <laughs> you um, answered that a little bit in your answer just now, but how um, would how did this affect you and your perception of yourself and your culture and your identity? Um, yeah, I mean, it. For like I, I understood that I was like sensitive. I was creative, artistic. Um, but I feel like for being Filipino, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was. I, I didn't learn Tagalog. I wasn't really like. I wasn't interested. I wanted to be like. Oh, I just want to. Like, why would I want to learn Tagalog? Like, everyone speaks English. Da, 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 da. Um, and so, like, they didn't really force that upon me. They're like, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> do what you gotta do. But, like, I, I, I honestly, like, I wish I did. I yeah. wish I learned. I mean, I still can. I still yeah. can. But um, I want to learn, too. Yeah. It's, like, super helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. It's... It's really... Uh, it's... <laughs> I don't know. That is, is that? Is yeah, that, no, that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So going on to your so your teaching career. So you talked uh-huh. about 
pep and that's how you started teaching but where like where did you teach and what made you go to that particular district or school mm, like in oakland yeah. so i taught east oakland for five years uh awkward <laughs> uh, how did i get into teaching so uh, yeah i did pep right and um my fifth year in pep I was like, you know what? It's time for me to get paid for this. Yeah. Like, I think I really want to be a teacher. Like, um, and I, I did, I did the whole pipeline. I went from I did elementary school, middle school, high school. I, I mean, I've workshopped a college class, but <laughs> yeah, I did the whole pipeline, and I was like, and for some reason, I was really good with kids. Like, I was really good with the little ones, and I'm like, I can, I can do this all day. <laughs> like, yeah. I really can do this all day, and so. Um, I had a, my close group of friends in, uh, pep. We, a couple of them or yeah, three of them. I'm like, we want to become teachers too. It's like, let's all apply for grad school. <laughs> <laughs> so we apply <laughs> to USF and it was, it was a great experience. Um, yeah, we, did that they all went to high school i went to elementary school and i was just looking around it was really just like a moment of like serendipity because i remember i was you know still in grad school and it was my second year and for your second year you start doing your student teaching or you can just be your own uh you don't need a student teacher you just go into the classroom and just do your like your thing and then you just you have another teacher in the school kind mm -hmm. of like do that so yeah but you're essentially just by yourself and me being arrogant and cocky like <laughs> i've done pep for five years i can do this by myself i don't need no master teacher <laughs> so i'm like i'm looking for jobs because i wanted i wanted to get paid already i wanted to be like i'm over this like grad school thing i just want to just get in the classroom and teach like i can do this mm -hmm. um but I was like, I went to like a job fair in San Francisco at Burton High School where I taught pep. Um, and I was like, I went there and I was just not getting good vibes off like mm -hmm. any any of like the interviews. So I remember just sitting in my car, like I could literally just get into my car right after the, all the interviews. And I'm just sitting there like, okay. <laughs> and then um, my one of my best friends calls me and he's like, hey what are you doing? I'm like, I just got out of like these interviews for, um, for teaching. He's like, Oh, speaking of that, uh, do you want to work with me? I'm like, hell yeah. I want to work with you. <laughs> so yeah, there's an opening in Oakland. Um, you should try it out. Like I'm going to be teaching second grade. See if you can teach first grade or um, teach. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That didn't go like that. <laughs> I'm going to be teaching second grade, but they need a teaching. There's another classroom open for second grade and there's a first grade classroom open. Mm -hmm. If you can be my teaching partner, that'd be sick. I'm like, hell yeah. Like do that. So I interview. They didn't give me the second grade position, but they gave me first grade. And um, it was, it was, it, and it felt like serendipity because my vice principal um is actually her best friend is married to one of my um mentors like teacher mentors oh. at um at Longfellow oh um it's probably going to be Teo's new teacher 
Mr. Fatal. And he's like, I'm because she, I was look, she's looking through my um my resume and she's like, Oh, you um you did a long term sub at Longfellow. Do you know uh Jolsaini Fatol? I'm like, yeah, that's the class I subbed. And she's like, Oh, I know uh his wife. She's my best friend. And I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we're supposed to be teaching. I'm supposed to be teaching here. And so it was, and we just like looked at each other. I'm like, okay, cool. And so and she's Filipina too. Uh she's also like Chamor Chim, from Guam. Chamori? Chamor? Anyways. Um Yeah. So I then that's how I started working at Lockwood. And um it's been a journey. It's really been a journey. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um it really was. <laughs> I just think about that moment. I I just remember looking at her yeah. and like, how do you know Jules? Se- like, this is so yeah. like out of all the schools I interviewed, I didn't even want I didn't even look into Oakland. Yeah. And I was just like, what? Like the one school I go to is the one literally the the principal, vice principal there is connected to this last school. Hell yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, what was it like teaching kids from all different places? Like, I know you've talked to me about that, like how they came and they like couldn't speak English at all. Yeah. Um, And how did that like affect your teaching, but also like your views on culture and diversity? Oh man. I, I give a lot of like love to those kids that like don't, don't speak that English isn't their first language. Um, it's scary, especially for a first grader, because they like can't communicate with anyone. They're like, they're seven years old, and they're like, I end up in a different country. <laughs> like, this grown ass man is just like, <laughs> like, finish, finish your work. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, no, no, don't say, don't say. <laughs> and so, it like, I'm like, okay, well, if they're trying their best, I gotta try my best to help them communicate and be patient with them. Mm-hmm. Um. Really, just welcome them, and I think a lot of that, like, it took a community to help. Because then I like asked my friends that, like, oh, do you speak Spanish? And like, can you help me translate? Can you um, help me do like with uh, talking to this parent so that like this kid can like so they know that their kid is doing well in school and like all that. And um, yeah, it really took a it it. I couldn't do it by myself. It really took like a team to um, have just one kid succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. And that imagine that times like a hundred, <laughs> like, like, because that's like that. Those like were like you know that's the population. Yeah. Um, it's even harder when like no one speaks the language because yeah. like there are kids from Guatemala and they speak only mum, like the, mm-hmm. the indigenous dialect, and it's just like shoot, like we can't. There's no mom doesn't have a written language. It's all oral. Mm-hmm. So, though, and there's only like one translator or two translators mm-hmm. in all of Oakland, <sighs> and this is for like thousands of kids. So Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you hear that Oakland? <laughs> That's why they're on strike. They've been on strike twice in five years. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, my teaching career was I went through the wildest time. Yeah. I went through two strikes. I went through a pandemic. 
and I taught in East Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> and if you and a lot of people say if you can teach in East Oakland, you can teach in any school in America. There's a couple, there's only a couple cities in America where yeah. it's like no one wants to teach there. No one wants to teach in East Oakland. It's very, it's hard, very hard. No one wants to teach in Oakland, like straight up. But like, that's where they need the the best teachers. Yeah. They for sure need those teachers. Yeah. And um, I can go into a whole spiel about, <laughs> about why teachers are leaving, but you know, yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's another case. That's another podcast episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So it just like helping those kids and just try your best and it really, it takes a toll on you because you, yeah. you try to put everything out there, just make these kids, not make, to support these kids. Right. Making sure that they are they have the basic needs to live because some of these, you know, there are a lot of kids, a lot of families I met that are, don't have a, don't have a permanent home. And, yeah. you know, it's not the best situation with their parents. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to that in a second, but on a more on a more positive. Yeah, did you hear? Did you hear my 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 voice go down? I just went through a tunnel of memories. So, um, through all those art times, what, can you describe a moment where you really enjoyed teaching and you felt like you were actually making like, a real difference on the kids? The great thing about first grade is that have you ever seen a kid just like realize, oh, I'm reading and I'm getting better. I don't think I have. It's probably one of the best feelings ever. <laughs> and like, just to like, teach something, teach them a skill that they will use for the rest of their lives <laughs> and be like, and just seeing a kid who does not, is not able to even write their name, yeah. not even understand like, oh, that's the letter A. No, that's C. Like they don't yeah. know the alphabet from that to being able to read uh-huh. like, full-on sentences mm-hmm. can never you can't replace that like and especially like the gratitude they give like yeah. first graders like they you know unfiltered they're like yeah. like when they say i love you like they really mean it yeah. or like when they say like you got fat like they really <laughs> mean it like and it's it's like a really beautiful thing i just like love yeah mm-hmm. there were just those moments where um when you just acting like on a roll you yeah. on that like i'm like been going through the lesson plan the kids are having fun yeah i'm having fun i'm getting it and we're just like and they're like learning something and they're uh-huh. like and it's like one of the best feelings of like oh you were listening you were actually yeah. listening <laughs> like you were like you actually like internalized that mm-hmm. um and seeing that and like just like you, when you see kids actually applying that in their lives and you're like, they're not doing it because they want to please you. They want to do it because like, oh, this strategy actually works. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I can, it's like, you know, conflict resolution, like mm-hmm. teaching them conflict resolution and just like seeing that um, in work just makes like, that's why I love teaching. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's cool. Um, can you talk about when you realized cooking was your passion and also like what made you switch from like your your like main career being teaching because yeah. you know, that's like also your was your passion it still and is my passion it just it's like i was talking saying like it's 
some burnout. Yeah. I was, I'm like for sure, was for sure burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And we can talk more about that later, but, uh, why I'm passionate about cooking. Um, now I've always like loved to cook. Um, it's funny your mom asked me this question. I like, why do you like to cook? Like, I don't. I even told her like, I don't know. I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the answer just a bit like later. But um, it's it's that act of service. It really is just um, the act of service and also like displaying yourself through this thing that someone's gonna consume. Like, someone's gonna make a part of them. Like putting your your time and passion into this one little thing that is going to be gone in like 30 seconds, but like it takes you five hours to do this. And then it's like, poof, it's gone. Yeah. It's that moment of just like, but my favorite thing is when people are eating my food and dead silent and they're just like, yeah, (laughs) like, and they just like, for like, like I just, sometimes I count like how long it's like dead silent. I'm just like, because like that's a sign of like dude they're so into their food they don't even want to talk about it they're just yeah. like and then when it, and then when they like get up I'm like what was that <laughs> like that was so good like i love that feeling i love that, that 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 feeling of just like i put my heart and soul into this thing right and like i did it because i want you to be happy i want you to show i want to show this is who i am mm-hmm. like this is who i am in this moment and you're about to eat it. <laughs> um, and I want to just like, I just want to keep doing that. I know it's like a lot of hard work. Um, in fact, one of my first pop up back in 2016, uh, I did a, you know, I did a 10 hour shift mm-hmm. and then I had a prep for that. So I was work. I worked like probably 16 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go to sleep till like four o'clock in the morning. I had to oh work at, I had work at eight. Um, but I was, I was prepping like these, chi- uh, like 20 pounds of chicken and I'm in like, and like, you know, it's, it's chicken, <laughs> like, it's raw chicken. I'm just like processing it. And I'm like, damn, I wouldn't be like, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm just prepping this chicken and I love this. This is a great feeling. Like, yeah. this is awesome. Like I'm creating something and like, mm-hmm. it was just like one of those moments where I'm like, those core memories of like wow like this is why i love to cook yeah like i can do this for the rest of my life kind of thing um and like at that that moment it was like oh it's just a side thing i remember like like i had a lot of confidence issues in myself um and so i just uh you know i kind of kept it at like a limited range of like oh this is just kind of like this will be a hobby. This will just be like a thing, you know, yeah. like, and then teaching is the path I want to go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of influence was pep, right? Like, yeah. like all these, like I have people that are becoming doctors. Yeah. I have friends that are becoming, you know, have master's degrees, doctorates. And I was like, I want to go on that path. Like, that's cool. And I was already on that path. Um, just cooking along the way was like okay I can still cook and teach kids how to cook because even like in after school programs and like all this I was running culinary programs I was like doing lesson plans based off food and food and I, your identity connected to food um, yeah uh, 
it was really that <laughs> that two o'clock in the morning chicken prep that really got me. Um, I know how I decided to leave teaching was yeah, you know, like I said, my track run. I've been doing this. I've been in like the classroom space or teaching since 2012. Sometimes for free, but like, and and I've been in like a like a official teacher mm-hmm. for five years. So, um, it was time to move on. It yeah. was time to like just take a step back from it and like put something else in like driver's seat and that yeah. was cooking. And it was all really serendipitous because even like <clears throat> the beginning of this year, I was not planning on leaving. Yeah, like at all, I was not planning on leaving, and then I was just having a really hard time in class even though i was like on the outside people were like you're doing such a good job yeah like i had a kid that honestly was the tipping point and his dad was the tipping point um of just like i can't do this anymore i don't know if i can do this anymore um and i know it was just one kid but like because i was doing so well not doing so well but like externally like my the principals were like you're such you're such a good teacher I had this gut feeling of like they're gonna keep giving me the hard kids yeah because I know because they know I'm good with it and nobody else in the school can like this is like this like teachers were afraid of this kid Mm -hmm. like teacher the principal was afraid of this kid (sighs) The vice principal, the new vice principal, Mr. Lascombe, he's like, you know, six foot something, big yeah. dude. So, like, he's not afraid of him, but, like, he knows, like, this kid could punch and he's, like, yeah. he's, like, built. Like, he's stacked as a, as a first grader. And it was, yeah, it was just, like, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to, I need to change a th- of things. And really, cooking was just, like, like, why don't you just go into it, like. I had this fear of, and I still kind of have this fear of like it's it's not financially stable and like all this stuff and blah 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 and you know ninety percent of restaurants fail and just like do you, I really want to go into this other like masochistic <laughs> job like I will trading one stress for another yeah but it's a whole different type of stress with cooking like. Mm-hmm. It's very in the moment. Um, yeah, you yeah, I think a few steps ahead, but like you're not like yeah, you're taking care of it's it's whole different type of stress. Yeah. With teaching, it's like um it's the lot of the mental mental health is kind of like for me at least was really affected mm-hmm. more so than the physical health. I'm still thinking about, like, was it, like, you know, I still have the, I'm, like, from the end of last night, like, was that the right decision? Did yeah. I make, you know, I'm, I'm, have had a lot of, like, ups and downs in the first month of, <laughs> of transitioning. And, like, even if I, what, didn't leave teaching, I still would be, like, oh, I still gotta find, like, work and stuff, because it's yeah. summertime or whatever. But, um. I don't know. I just have had a lot of like not let down. Oh yeah, I guess a let. I, for me, it was a let down. Or I think like I, it was like the same thing. 
when my first year teaching, I was so confident, like, oh, I can, I can get into that job. Like, yeah. oh, just give me a chance. I got it. And like, I did it. And I still failed. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even, like, am I not even, like, was this even right for me? Am mm-hmm. I even good enough to do this? Like, I don't think this was the right choice, but you just got to keep pushing. Yeah. You got to keep pushing. You really got to, it's like that faith of like believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the missing piece for me for a long, long time is just like having the confidence in myself. Be like, this is good. Stop critiquing yourself. Mm-hmm. You're doing fine. Be yeah. more gentle with yourself. Um, yeah, and that's really how I transitioned to cooking and how I'm feeling about it right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was actually about to ask, like, what has it been like for you to shift between, like, your five-year-long uh, career to, I just... like, even complete? Oh, it's... So, like... Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, I'll say that. <laughs> um, can you talk about, like, what made you think about moving to the Philippines and starting a restaurant there? Um, actually, this last trip, I just came back from the Philippines in May. Um, and, you know, my dad has been going back and forth. You know, I was saying he worked a lot. And one of those things, he, like, 20 years going back and forth from... America to the Philippines to take care of our ancestral home. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's beautiful, uh, but no one lives there. And so there's this big space down low. It's like, why don't I just take care of that? And yeah. like, and like starting a restaurant in America is probably one of the hardest things. Yeah. And it's like, like I said, it's like a 90% fail and you can mm-hmm. get into debt. And it's like, well, we have a space. We have a, we have land. Why don't I just start something there? And I wanted to start it there because, like, I want you, like you, Nadia, the next generation to come back home, come back to something, be like, cool. Like, yeah. I, I can, I feel like I belong here. Uh-huh. Like, you're like me as like I was saying. Like, I didn't, I wasn't Filipino enough to be in the Philippines. I wasn't American enough to be in America. So that whole like idea of like, well then why don't we create I create a space for for me, for my family to just be themselves mm-hmm. and like let me do my thing and I don't have any like real restrictions. Um uh and this it just felt right. And <clears throat> the fact that you know, my parents are on board with it i was like okay cool and like people really believe in my cooking and it's a good it's a little uh it's a little nice uh factor that it's a surfing town <laughs> like so it's beautiful there um and just like wanting to come back to my homeland mm-hmm. um my motherland fatherland um it it just felt like the right move. Uh-huh. Um, my time here in America just feels like it, it's it's almost like I don't want to say dead end, but like it's like what I don't like. Yeah. I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. I don't have a home. The only thing that's really holding me down here is family and debt. <laughs> like that's what I have here: yeah. family and debt. Like. 
And family is everywhere. Family could go anywhere, you know, yeah. so debt follows you forever until you pay off. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's like, why not? Like, I've heard a lot of people tell, like, if you don't have a kid and you're still in your 30s, like, it's the time to be, like, the most selfish. Yeah. Like, do what you want to do. <laughs> because once you have that kid, it's like, you can't do anything. Yeah. It's all on the, like, mm-hmm. you focus on the kid. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Let me just get, like, a partner first. <laughs> like, you know. Um, yeah. And so that's what's, like, kind of, like, want, I want to, like, go to the Philippines. Because um, also, you know, Papadula's getting old. Really old. Um, I, I haven't told uh, your mom this or Shani. I'll actually a couple told a couple people but uh there was a time in the philippines where uh papadula couldn't even tie his shoe like he couldn't bend down to tie his shoe and like that's the first time i ever saw that like yeah like yeah. why can't you bad tie your shoes like i just like i just can't even i was like can you just help me so i had to get down and he was just telling like it's time like i'm getting really old like you like mm-hmm. and it was like one of those that was like a it was a clicking moment like like uh-huh. I need to like, like he's he's about to be I think seventy eight uh-huh. or he just turned seventy eight, and so I like time is clicking, time is ticking, and they want to go back to the Philippines. So like, why not just like if I want to like be over there, why not be with them and yeah, really kind of get acclimated back there because like that I feel like that's my it's my trajectory right now is like to mm-hmm. go back and forth from here and the philippines and really take care of that land because yeah you really think your mom's gonna go over there and take care of that yeah. land no she's gonna go to the holiday and <laughs> like <laughs> like i i don't know i just feel like i'm like made for it yeah like yeah like when i was over there remember the family reunion year yeah <laughs> I mean, I was there for like a few weeks and I was acclimated. I was like, I can live with this life, like this yeah. provincial life. Like, I don't need like, I can go to the bathroom with a tabo. Like I, yeah. I can eat, I can eat fish all day. Like can you allow, I can eat all day over there. Um, Yeah. It was just like, this is like, this feels good. I like, I like this. Um, Yeah. So that's like my decision. And it's, I'm still kind of like, still thinking about it under trying to understand even how to build a business over there but um yeah that's why i want to go i really want to build something for you guys that's so cool yeah so when you guys go over there be like you have something you can be like a (laughs) saibo like i like i've been thinking about that i'm thinking like what 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 do i want to put on my menu and Mm -hmm. i think about like what makes me a Filipino Californian. Yeah. And like, what do my, you know, nephews and nieces like? Acai bowl. Like, yeah, you want to feel like, because when you go there, like, it's like, oh yeah, this is cool. But like, having something familiar yeah. is, especially with food, it's like, oh, I'm home. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I'm at home. Uh-huh. Like, I, I like, that's why like, when you, when you immigrate somewhere, a lot of like, immigrants, they like well, they 
go to a new country, they like seek out their home food. Cause like, oh, I miss home. I remember like all the, the chicken adobo there or the acai bowl or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, I, I can, I can, for five minutes, I can feel like I'm home again. Yeah. Uh, well, you said your parents, like, they're really supportive of this. What else did they like send when they were um about opening this thing this yeah. cafe yeah yeah they're like very supportive in fact <clears throat> they like they're like oh yeah your cousin like they're like trying to get actually resources like your cousin does this does that like he could help you like learn all these new like cooking stuff mm-hmm. um i think that's the the tricky part is that like try like maybe working with them because like you know they're like it's their home too and so like how do i work with them and yeah um you know also put my own like two cents into it Mm -hmm. um yeah uh it's it's interesting um they're but they're very supportive and uh they they really feel like they will be- i feel like they believe in me and That's nice. it feels not it really does yeah. like that it's something i'm passionate about because you hear like a lot of like Fili- like filipinos like oh yeah my mom wants to be a nurse and like <laughs> whatever and like my mom said that before like you should be a nurse <laughs> like why don't you think about being a nurse like <laughs> but then actually now it's like i love to cook i want to be a cook it's like okay cool like yeah we, we like your cooking like we want you to do that too mm-hmm. like yeah um so it's been really it's been it's been a positive that's good thing um yeah. what do you think that change is going to be like if you end up moving and how will that affect like your identity i'm gonna be an immigrant like <laughs> like i'm gonna because you know I'm going to be moving. Oh, well, I don't know about immigrant because I don't know if I'm moving there permanently, but yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know. An immigrant is someone that moves to another place and lives there, right? Like, that's an immigrant. So, yeah, I guess I've been an immigrant. I don't know why I'm like arguing with myself on that. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's just interesting because I think about like my parents' journey about immigrating to the United States in the 70s and how hard it was for them to transition and i haven't i'm like lucky because i'm just going just to a place that i've been going to so i kind of am familiar with it Mm -hmm. but i think it's going to be hard because then it's like i i'm really starting over because then i don't know like like, again i know some people but like i have no friends over there really um and so i don't i gotta really understand how to build community from scratch you Mm -hmm. know yeah so i uh i'm so kind i mean like it's not it's gonna be like a five year process yeah. and it's gonna be going through like all going back and forth maybe even longer next time longer from yeah. that like i'm trying trying to like do it little by little yeah right and so um yeah i don't i hadn't even like gone that far to thinking how it's gonna be because yeah. i'm just trying to like get my brand and like my cooking career off right now so we'll we'll see um how that goes i it's a little like think 
now that you th- say that question, I'm like thinking about I'm, like a little anxi- anxiety for life. <laughs> um, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be. Yeah, it'll be good. Hey, um, this is kind of our last question. You talked about it a little bit, yeah. But like, how? I mean, you, we've kind of been talking about it this entire time. But how right. has your Filipino culture and motivated motivation affected you? Um, you talked about it like growing up, but what about like teaching, cooking, everything? Oh yeah, like I said, I I taught ethnic studies, and a lot of my lessons are um, rooted in this phrase: is "no history, no self," N O, and then "no history, no self," K N O W. So no history, no self, no history, no self, and um. I think at that young age when I was thinking about like the history of where I'm from and all that and then how that applies to me and then like really diving into my own personal history um thing has really helped me understand who I am as a person and as a chef and as an educator um and I want to make sure that you know, this generation, the next generation, kids, understand that, like, they, that the importance of knowing your history is understanding yourself better. Uh, and understanding, like, what, how to solve, like, these societal problems. Like, it's, it really starts with yourself in mm-hmm. order to really help out others, you know? And then when you understand your history, it's like, oh, shoot, like, now I understand my history. I learned about someone else's history. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see those connections and those dots and why why our people are being oppressed and why how these systems overall are really affecting, you know, class, race, mm-hmm. gender. And then um, essentially kind of like, why? Why are they like that? Why yeah. are those systems like that? Why do we keep need to keep living in these systems? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like that's really just like it's. I mean, like, I hope for that, but like it's it's that initial spark of like, oh, I love myself. I love my people. That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Having confidence in yourself and with about you, like your understanding of yourself to your people uh-huh. really can create and build bridges to other communities and to your even your own community you know um yeah and i think my the past 15 or yeah 15 16 years of just really being teaching and cooking and just like then starting from like college you know high school i um yeah i've I've learned a lot. Learned a lot about myself. I'm still learning. Um and it's been a roller coaster. She keeps saying that. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> Emotional roller coaster. Uh, but it's been really good. It's been really good. Um Yeah, I'm learning more to love myself and be confident in myself and to believe the really take time. Um, because every second counts. Inspirational. Yeah, every second counts. 
Um, is there anything else that you want to say about like your drive to like following your passions, like your love to serve in the community? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Accept that and keep building on it. Really trust in your community. Trust in yourself and your community will trust you. Um, and be dynamic. Don't be static in all aspects of your life. Okay, well, that is actually the end of our podcast. Oh, perfect. Okay, cool. But thank you so much for answering all of these questions. That yeah. was really interesting to hear cool. about your cool. life story. Did you know any life? Yeah. Did you learn a lot? All yeah, I did. I didn't know like any of that. Well, good. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. I'm actually also Spider Man. <laughs> Hi, Sam. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. Of course. Um, tune in so, next time. Tune, tune in to our next podcast. Yeah. Right. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you for listening. His story, along with the Filipino-American community, means a lot to me, and I'm glad I've been given the opportunity to share the personal navigation of his life and the importance of culture, specifically in the Filipino community. We talked about his family and his childhood, how he got into his first love and passion for teaching, and finally, the decision and first steps of transitioning to his passion for cooking. Again, my name is Lucy, and my guest is Michael Herrera, and you can find his personal Instagram below. It's, it's Mikey Era, M-I-K-E-Y-E-R-A, and his cooking account as well, Ninong underscore Loy underscore Kitchen. <laughs>After listening to Lucy's interview with her uncle, Michael, I appreciated how the conversation underscored the roller coaster nature of a major career shift, highlighting the uncertainty and also emotional challenges that come with such changes. Michael emphasized the importance of being gentle with oneself, having grace for yourself, and stopping self-critique emphasizing the need to embrace change and having faith in the journey. I can 100% appreciate this because I think I've changed my career over a dozen times. And each time I had to just stop and take a leap of faith. You know, the bigger the career change, the bigger the leap of faith. Their conversation reflects themes of self-discovery, resilience, and the pursuit of cultural identity. I also loved how he talked about the importance of family and navigating significant career changes. The decision to start a restaurant in the Philippines and Michael's motivation to connect with his own cultural roots created a space for familial identity and provided a place for the next generation to feel a sense of belonging. I think this also mirrors my own choice to start this podcast, Cultural Cultivators. You know, initially, my intention was to inspire my newborn son by creating a podcast where he could eventually discover inspiration from a community of trailblazers, disruptors, and leaders who not only share his background, but also look like him. This vision expanded with the launch of the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast program last year, 
And we were also able to provide Filipino youth with not only a platform to share their stories and viewpoints, but also a means to build community and reconnect with their own roots. Lucy and the upcoming two episodes in the following weeks, I think, beautifully embody just that. And I'm excited to announce that Balai Creative will continue our Unsung Heroes podcast program next summer. We aim to teach youth in the Bay Area how to produce their very own podcast, just like this one. And we're giving 10 high school youth in the San Francisco Bay Area the opportunity to attend a summer program of storytelling and podcast workshops where teens can learn how to interview, research, record, edit, and produce their very own podcast. You can find more information about our Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program, and teens can also apply for a full scholarship at belicreative.org slash unsung dash heroes. Cultural Cultivators is hosted by me, Nicole Saliver, and also our youth from our Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program. This podcast is co-produced by John Reyes and Belay Creative and is a product of Cultivate Labs. Stay in touch at belaycreative.org. <laughs>